This has been an awesome retrospective so far. I love these top threes. Great talk. Great conversation. Now we're going to do my favorite part of my favorite episode, the retrospective, which has been our listener mail. So first of all, you all send us so much stuff. So thank you to all of the listeners. We can't obviously get to every single thing we get, but I've picked some good stuff and y'all sent some great stuff. So for those of you who reach out and send us messages and emails and hit us up on social media, thank you so much. I'll start with a, with a nice one. This is from Casey on Facebook. Hello, everyone. My name's Casey. I've recently started watching the show for the first time. As a 21-year-old, it's interesting to see media from a society that is unknown to me. I've grown an appreciation for this show, for spawning the seed for later favorite shows of mine, Breaking Bad, etc. Your guys' show has been helpful for me. One, it gets me through my job. And as someone from the West Coast, having some of the cultural differences from here compared to Jersey. I can't think of a question besides how you guys feel about someone of the current generation finding the show and how that would affect their viewing in modern day eyes. Take care all and good luck on the show. Hi Casey, thanks for writing in. So this is an interesting one guys, I wanted to bring it up. It's like, let's try to imagine, now we all grew up kind of in this time where The Sopranos was actually current and on and now we're doing a 20 year look back. Uh, what do you think people who are younger than us make of this show and what the, must the experience be seeing the sopranos as a time capsule for someone who wasn't alive when this was on so casey uh thanks for writing in you were born when 9-11 happened i guess that math just about works out so you were already born into a post 9-11 america look I, i'm not uh, a scholar of history uh I will say that life felt very different for everyone before that day. And it changed everything. Mm. Uh, and in a way I can't <clears throat> really convey in a way that will do it justice. I will say that the big shift you feel on the show, uh, you know, was in response to that. And uh, all of the media you now consume whether it is Breaking Bad or even something like a Game of Thrones or something like that, now exists in a much more cynical society, and things are much darker as a result. One of the reasons why I think The, the Sopranos is fascinating is because it turns on the wheel of a society that is changing as its protagonist is changing as well. Mm. So it is, it is darkening in keeping with that, with that society. Uh, I admire that you're watching the show now as a, a young person. Uh, I, I think that's that's really smart. I appreciate your uh, your resolve to do that to kind of you know maybe get an idea of where your your favorite shows have come from. For us who lived through it, uh, it was uh, something that was was really amazing to behold at the time. That you know how art kind of responded to that. Um, I, I don't know that I really have anything else to say. I think that's the thing that came to mind first. Um, I just I love that you're you're reaching out with that question specifically. I think that's that's amazing. It's a particularly fascinating and relevant question because the show is about this guy from 20th century America feeling like he's came in at the end of something. And we are in a new world. This is not the world we live in now and the people who are alive in our age bracket and older know what I'm talking about. We're in a different world than when the one we were born in vastly different oh economically uh politically everything yeah yeah and so I, yeah i think that 
Casey, what you're experiencing with watching this show is actually something that I heard a lot about, particularly in the early days of the pandemic when people were kind of like stuck inside watching a lot of stuff and The Sopranos experienced a resurgence then, indeed among a lot of young people. I think based on what you guys have been talking about here, I, young people might understand more than mm. we do that the best is gone because they didn't live, they, they hear stories, I think, about what the promise of the American dream was like and they're not all cynical but I think they are frustrated with good reason mm. because of what they see and that's one of the reasons, one among many, that The Sopranos does not drain, it doesn't wane in our consciousness mm. it's still here and seems to become more relevant yeah on a completely different note first off i'm i'm glad we're able to put the cultural difference in perspective i can definitely connect with that because in my jobs i've been by coastal and my friends out in california would ask questions like i just saw a video of a, a rat carrying a piece of pizza <laughs> is that real it's like yes absolutely that is a hundred percent real it's just things you don't necessarily some of the people think about. Have, have witnessed rat rape oh i i did yeah that's a whole other story we can talk <laughs> offline about it um yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jordan is completely flummoxed by that statement. No, you, you, you live in New York City, you see it all you with the You see it all. And, and people, too. Um, but what I would wonder from someone of your age, uh, oh, that makes me feel old saying that, I'm sorry, um, is, you know, we have a completely different expectation of television quality these days. Mm. And I know I didn't watch The Sopranos live but even back in, I think it was more like 2010, 2011 when I was watching it, yeah. the expectation still wasn't quite Sopranos. So, but now that you have your Mad Men's, Breaking Bad's, all of these, Game of Thrones, yeah. depending on who you ask, you, there, there are so strong expectations to television that Sopranos set. Hmm. So I'm wondering if this feels almost normal to you. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Write us back. Let us know how that all sits with you because I can't even express how game-changing this show was, man. TV was not like what it is now. You didn't have all these awesome options. The stuff you see, I don't know if you watched Game of Thrones, Casey, but like the stuff you would see on big-time, big-budget shows like that was inconceivable. And having a morally ambiguous protagonist, I mean, we talked about this when we covered college, but... The fact that HBO was like, ooh, you can't have your main character murder somebody in cold blood. It's like, what show did they think they signed up for? This, but this, that's how groundbreaking the show was, man. And so uh, I'm glad that one of the cool, you know, there are lots of things that I personally, as a 35-year-old guy, look at the younger generation and think, man, it sucks growing up now. One of the cool things about growing up now is that you just have so much access to cool stuff. Um so, you know, that's something that's cool, and we can thank The Sopranos for, actually. So, mm. Well, thanks for writing in, Casey. Appreciate it. Great question. This is from Catherine on Facebook. This is a very academic, this is a totally different thing she's throwing at. This is more of a theory or just something. Uh, she says, hi from sunny England. Paul, you're on it. <laughs> <laughs> hi from sunny England. I've been looking for, for some time for a Sopranos podcast. Listened to a few, but they weren't quite right. I love yours, though. I'm enjoying the insights, and I've almost caught up to date. Something I've thought for the last 20-odd years is that it's no coincidence that Livia is named Livia. 
I'd bet good money that David Chase knows his Roman history or has read Robert Graves' I, Claudius, and Claudius the God. I'm convinced that Livia is based on Livia Augusta, Empress of Rome, wife of Augustus Caesar, mother of Emperor Tiberius, who exiled himself to Capri to get away from her. Tacitus spoke of her secret intrigues. She exiled her stepdaughter Julia and was reputed to have had a hand in her husband and stepchildren's deaths. She truly was the power behind the throne and was reputed to have had Germanicus, Posthumus, Agrippa, Lucius Caesar, Gaius, and Lucius Claudius Marcellus killed in an effort to have her sons inherit the title emperor. I'd be interested to know what you think. Keep up the good work. All the best. Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Um, that's, if that theory isn't right, then it should be. <laughs> uh, it ha- I mean, I, I've always thought that that was the basis for it. Um, and if uh, I'm sure Catherine does not need this note. If anybody in our audience has not watched the 1976 BBC miniseries of I, Claudius, they should. They had no money to do it, but they had some of the best actors in the world. Derek Jacobi, Patrick Stewart are in it. Um, I'm forgetting the guy who plays the king, uh, the emperor in it, but he's fucking awesome too. Brian Blessed, amazing acting. Um, and yes, uh, Livia is very Livia-esque in it. I think that theory rules. I do too. I, I told her that that's awesome. I asked her if we could use that on the show, and she was enthusiastic about it. But thank you, Catherine. That's freaking awesome. I'm glad I was able to read that. And if that wasn't in David Chase's mind, it sure is a hell of a coincidence. I think it. Uh, I think it's very cool. Right um, over my head. Thank you all <laughs> for taking care of that. No worries. Uh, Stefano on Facebook writes, Ciao, Carmela E. Ciao, Carmela Steed. I'm not kidding. That's what he wrote. Thank you, Stefano. Appreciate you writing into the show. Uh, <laughs> I would like to respond to that. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Ciao, Stefano E. Ciao, Stefano E. Ooh. Grazie mille. We do get occasional weird things here that, uh, you know, I can't quite uh, make heads or tails of, but, um, Carolina on Facebook. Hey guys, I'm from Uruguay. I wanted to let you know I can't get enough of this podcast. You're my company on the bus while I work, while I cook, and whenever I can. Oh. Thank you, Carolina. Or Uruguay. I can't believe the reach of this thing. The, The places we get emails from, Iran, Uruguay, uh, the Netherlands, crazy. This is wild, man. Yeah, Um, yeah. Staten Island. Oh. Whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> the boonies. <laughs> we don't talk like that here. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> uh, let's get to some of, uh, some of the emails we got here. Um, Go fuck yourselves. No. <laughs> this is uh, from Dave. I don't give last names unless they expressly ask me to. Hi, Chris, Lily, Paul, and Jordan. I caught up to you guys in real time this week, so I feel like I can finally write you. Loving the podcast. I find your approach different than that of Michael and Steve on Talking Sopranos, which I listen to in its entirety. I like them both, but notably, yours is more of an analysis. My wife thinks I'm nuts that I can listen to this stuff ad nauseum. She don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) You just released the episode Whoever Did This, a great episode which I realize now after hearing your recap is one of my faves. Only thing I want to share that I noticed about Ralph, as tough as he might appear, he doesn't once get physical with a male character. I think the only time he does get physical is when he beats Tracy. This is by design, This is, I think this is by brilliant design of the writers, similar to Furio, who only gets physical once in Big Girls Don't Cry. Moving on to a couple slight criticisms. Well, let's take his 
Ralph thing first, and then we'll get back to the email to, the, to see what the negatives are. But yeah, that's pretty interesting that Ralphie, uh, even when the one scene where I, I can think of where he has Jackie rough up a guy uh, and kind of beats him up. Jackie, you know, he has like, that. that's the only thing I can think of. But that is interesting that Ralph's uh, violence is pretty much exclusively devoted to violence against women. Sure. Uh, well, yes, of course. Well, listen, we're going to talk a lot more about Ralph and his issues with women in the latter half of this episode because yeah. I'm looking at my notes and it's it's pretty inevitable. But um, look, Ralph is, he's a smaller guy and he's a little well-coiffed mm-hmm. and a little well-dressed. I think he doesn't get dirty unless he really needs to. So mm-hmm. I don't look at Ralph Cifaretto and say, yeah, this is a guy that goes out and beats up men when he has to. I right. think... He definitely is a mastermind that sends thugs to make his collections and do his business. Uh, You can see that even in just the way he runs his guys, like Vito and whoever else works for him. Um, We know that he takes a special, I don't know if you want to call it a pleasure or whatever, he just has a thing against women. Uh, He needs to take revenge on them in some way. Uh, Also, uh, even with women, he has to, instead of, he has to sometimes reenact some kind of humiliation where they dominate him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, you know, it's not as simple as oh I'm going to go beat up this or that person. Yeah. Um, it's there's paraphilia. There's all kinds of stuff happening with him. But no, I hadn't thought of it in those terms. It's a really interesting. It's a good point. observation. Yeah, yeah uh, I like it a lot. I, I think that was the only thing I, I would think of is just a, like I don't think he's the type that goes out and gets really rough with men uh, when you know if he doesn't have to. Mm. I'm sure he's been in many fights. I think all these guys have. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. All right, let's hear the criticisms. Moving on to a couple slight criticisms. By the way, he says a couple slight criticisms, but the criticism section of the email is much fatter. That's usually how it goes. (laughs) First, you guys blew it here. Fountains of Wayne is, was, a real store in Wayne, New Jersey, and was the inspiration for the band of the same name. Oh, there you go. Sorry, but the internet machine could have told you that. (laughs) While I love Paul's typically deep analysis, can you do something about his mic? It is so quiet... (laughs) At times, I can barely hear him. Jordan. Sorry! <laughs> you don't want Paul to get loud. Let me tell you that right <laughs> now. Listen. <laughs> See here. <laughs> Jordan. I love that you keep getting whipped on this. Oh, boy. Jordan, while I respect your opinion on Pro Shai Lavushka, oh you really need to look past the ancient CGI. But that was last season! God, <laughs> <laughs> oh, still holding on to it. He was still cool. whacking me on Pro Shai. <laughs> The writers needed to close the story on the airline tickets. They did it poorly. (laughs) It really wasn't so bad. Sorry, needed to poke you on that. (laughs) You know, I listen. I appreciate you wrote in. I'm sure you're very nice. You're fucking wrong. Okay. Bad CGI. Let it go, Jordan. I can't let it go. It looked bad. This isn't a complaint, but a fan's take on some critical episodes. Season 3 employee, Toothpick University. My favorite sequence of episodes where Chase and Co. take major chances and really F with our emotions. First, an employee, they make us experience the brutality, so we feel Melfi's pain and crave yeah. the same revenge. Mm-hmm. Then they take away what should so obviously be the conclusion. Brilliant. Yeah. Then in Toothpick, and even more so in University, they remind us, once we're getting comfortable with these gangsters, that they are cold and heartless murderers. It was like their response to the media complaining that the show was glamorizing the mob life. Hmm. Yeah. It's a great, very astute. Uh, very Dave. astute. Uh, yeah. That is, in fact, you know, we were just having a conversation on a break about, uh, you know, this idea that depiction of something equals um, endorsement, endorsement yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And that's so clearly not the case. And I think they've done a great job, especially as of season three, 
of reminding us that these guys are monsters. Absolutely. Anyway, folks, enough said. Thank you for keeping me company each day on my commute and allowing me to watch, once again, The Sopranos as if I'm seeing it for the first time. I think I'm buying my sister the DVDs uh, for Christmas. And uh, ciao, Dave. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you, Dave. Dave. Dave, Dave, Dave is in Massachusetts. I'm glad we can keep you company, Dave. Thank you for the uh, polite, constructive criticism. Um, I don't even take it that way yeah, because, yeah. you know, if, if Dave were here, he would just be part of the conversation. Right. So nice job, Dave. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, can you uh, speak up a little? Go yeah. fuck yourself, Dave. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Dave. There's a popular meme that goes around about the experience of listening to a podcast, and it shows the people on the podcast... And then it shows you, the listener, without a head. Mm. Uh, and I think that's what it feels like sometimes. Just like all the things you would love to say to us. So Dave, thank you so much for, for sharing those. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I agree with really everything you said. Yep. yep. Um, except Prussia Lushka. <laughs> <laughs> now see here. I'm not going to let it go. <laughs> so now see here. Uh, the last thing I want to do, this next email comes from my brother-in-law, Brian. Your brother, Lily. Yeah. Uh, and normally I would not indulge this person. Uh, but... <laughs> But uh, this guy is actually, though I bust his balls and he busts mine, he is a fan of our show. He listens very, he listens religiously, you know, gives me all kinds of feedback on, on the phone. But he took the time to write an email. And the reason I'm going to read this is because he's not the only one I got this from. He just took the most time articulating it. But I've heard from a few other people this complaint that we're going to have to address on the show, and I want to address it. So, gentlemen... Uh, here is my email about... I'm going to skip parts of this because he violates a pol- or no You know what he policy. violated? Including me, gentlemen. That's also true. How dare you? He is my email. Here is my email about why, about, uh, about why your thoughts you should be proud of and worked hard on are bad and actually... Are bad, actually, <laughs> and why you guys did a misogyny, tongue-in-cheek. All right, do tell. <laughs> yes, brother. Tell me how we did a misogyny. The Soprano crime family is an objectively immoral and illegal operation, and the point of the FBI is to find the cracks within the law and exploit them for the benefit of society. And that is what they do here, and they are legally and morally right to do so. Adriana, despite being the weak link and a very feminine presenting petite woman who is physically ill at being exploited in this sense, is still guilty and complicit. She knows and acknowledges this, while having agency over her participation. So it is immoral to defend her from the mean FBI who are trying to legally and ethically put an end to the Soprano organized crime family. She has agency over her participation? Um, Sounds like she's being browbeaten to me. We're going to get there. Brian, get what there. is objective morality? That's another... <laughs> um, she. Hold on, I have to quickly just browse this next paragraph because he does violate our no-spoilers policy. Um... Paul and I both have our knives out. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're going to answer this because I've heard from other people that we were too soft on Adriana and too hard on the FBI. So we're going to address this. I'm sorry, FBI. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Having watched the series to completion, we know Adriana may not be the brightest bulb on the tree, but she does have agency. And despite being a complicated character, a victim of abuse and an abusive relationship, she is still responsible for her actions. Abuse does not excuse criminal behavior. She, she uh, cares more about a diamond bracelet than an ethical life, and she demonstrates this over and over, much like Carmela. Granted, Carmela may be worse because she's more oh acutely God. aware of how much she likes her lifestyle. Then he goes on to stuff I can't talk about because it's in, in, super in, happy. in future seasons. 
if it were if it were Chris in that inter- if it were Christopher in that interrogation room and the FBI exploited his addiction, would we be so quick to condemn the FBI? Granted, he's the direct criminal. Adriana's an accomplice, but still, this is the conclusion. He's wrapping up here. Regardless, Adriana demonstrates she not only has agency but also knows there are consequences for her action. She just feels weak, and the audience assumes her weakness because she's feminine presenting, not because she isn't guilty. You could argue she's not as guilty as Chris because she he's the criminal and she's the enabler, but she is still guilty. And how much is the audience's instinct to protect her a result of her feminine presentation? Checkmate nerds. And that's Brian's thing. Is it a checkmate? What's our response to this that we are too soft on Adriana and too hard on the feds? Well, first, I just want to say I am a nerd. And uh, and I, I, I resent that. My one of my favorite nerds. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in in reverse order, um, first of all, one of the reasons that we don't get the FBI trying to fuck with Christopher is because that wouldn't work. Mm. The FBI is doing this because Adriana is not only a woman but one who is unsure of herself and one who takes cues from other people in terms of how to behave and what to do next. Checkmate, nerd. <laughs> Um, that's one. Brian, if you're listening, you really got these guys spicy. I'm having the time yeah, of my life watching them. Uh, Brian, love you. You're family to me because of your sister anyway. Um, <laughs> but you gotta do way better than this. Weak. Weak sauce. Um, second. Wow. Um, the, yes, in terms of the, um, first of all, your point on morality is, uh, a non sequitur because there, to me anyway, there is no objective morality. We have to make our own. So, uh, what the so uh, objectively terrible, objectively morally something? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Next, uh, the FBI. Um, again, yes. In terms of the books, we, perhaps we should be rooting for them. No. Um, rooting out <laughs> these terrible criminals. Why is The Sopranos a different kind of show? Because it brings out different morally complex issues where we actually think, I don't know, these FBI guys kind of suck. It's one yeah. of the reasons it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the first thing he said? I, I don't even remember. Uh, he said that... Um, I think he just called us dicks and that we're horrible people. Or oh, well, that's like all that. true. Yeah. That was all true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The idea that people are softer on her because she's feminine presenting. But that's an interesting point you brought up, Paul, that the reason they're exploiting her is because she's perceived as weak and feminine as well. Right. And that's the reason their tactic is so is working. And that's why it feels predatory. Um, they also bust her on a cocaine charge, which is not objectively morally awful. I don't think drugs should be illegal. How do you like them apples? That's an interesting point. Now, maybe people agree or disagree, but is that an objectively moral thing? It's illegal, but... That's a fair question. Yeah, Brian, my response is not as deep as Paul's, as is typical, but I, I will say that um, I think we can't uh, remove this conversation from the context of the show. We do not like the FBI characters because there's nothing to like. The show gives us very, very little about them and their lives. Um, they're mostly dorks, and sometimes they're harmful dorks. Uh, let's say asshole territory, okay? Just, are <laughs> just not likable. We're not on their side in the show. Right, I agree. So I have no reason to really root for them, even if they represent the laws of the society of which I am a part. The show is not called the FBI. The show is called The Sopranos. So I am always looking for the best from people like Ralph Sifaretto, or the best from Tony, or, or whoever. People who are objectively bad people and lawbreakers, yes, in our real world, 
but in the world of the show, were asked to explore uh, their rich emotional lives. And in exploring Adriana's, I find more sympathy for her and her wrongdoing than I have for the FBI just trying to do their job. Well, and it also, you know, hi, brother, love you. I hope you're having fun with this. Um, I mean that, that sounded snarky. The, um, it also assumes that with your objective morality that the FBI is always good because they're lawful, but, I mean, look into Larry Nasser, Brian. They mess up a lot. They do a lot of very bad things, too, and mm -hmm. so... I think to Paul's point, the complexity of the situation, right, allows us to, you know, have complex feelings about it. Of course the Sopranos family are criminals. That's the point of the show. But we're rooting for them because structurally that's how the show is built, to Jordan's point. So just to summarize, um, you know, I think it's a lot more fun to root for the team we're kind of designed to root for. Yeah, I will say, as to the point of whether, did we do a misogyny or not, um, yeah, of course, obviously, Adriana is a very attractive woman. She's a very feminine presenting character. Brian, that's all That's all valid. Um, I think uh, that the show presents this character in a way that is weak. I don't think that's something that we, the hosts of this podcast, put on Adriana. I think that's that's in the script, and I think the FBI is made to look predatory by going after a weak character. I don't think her weakness is necessarily tied to her femininity, but I think that, yes, I, I agree that there is an association that is there that maybe should not be, though I'm not as quick to label the host of this podcast as the guilty party there. I also would argue that like okay so let's play a game adriana just breaks up with christopher where does she does she just get to like live back with her mom again will her life be okay can she just leave is adriana is adriana really full agency over herself and her body at this point or is she in too deep yeah i think she, she's trapped either way right i i mean that's what i think so at this point, yes, she made a decision at one point in her life to associate with these people, just like Carmela did, but that doesn't mean that they are always going to be proud of that decision or always thrilled that they made it. Carmela is not happy by the things she has because <clears throat> she is not loved the way she wants to be loved. So she made a decision in her early 20s, right, when they got married, and we're supposed to continue to blame her because it's not what she thought she wanted when she was in her early 20s. What are any of us doing in our early 20s? Are we still doing the same thing? I've left and changed. I think mm. a lot of us have. I'm 39 and I'm still doing stupid shit. Right. <laughs> but are you like doing, are you on the exact same track as you were when you were 21, 22? No. 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 I am still a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. So... Proud one with my fellow nerds, but. Sure. All right. Well, there it is, Brian. That's round two. Uh, Love you, I know Brian. I know you, and I know you'll be back with uh, more <laughs> of this. This is not concluded if I know my brother-in-law. At least he didn't tell me I was wrong on Prussia Lavushka. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, subject line of his next That's round two, Brian. We'll see you for round three. I hope you had fun with that. We'll see you again Love in the post-Projack world. Yeah. <laughs> This uh, next email, I, I want to say before I read this next email, this person wrote in on our last retrospective, and I am officially in love with this person. 
This is uh, Alan. This is, this is Alan. 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 What's up, buddy? <laughs> Cheerio. Uh, the subject is flattered, and uh, I'm gonna read this in my Alan accent. <laughs> Hello, chaps. First of all, thank you for giving such attention to my letter from last season and your season three retrospective. I felt flattered about how much credence you gave to my feedback, and I really enjoyed your responses. Laughed out loud at some of them. Meanwhile, I like the fresh enthusiasm you three seem to have brought to this new season. I actively look forward to fresh episodes dropping now. Just a couple of points so far with season four. And we can address these points one at a time if we want, based on what it is. All right. In episode two... Jordan raised a really salient point about the notion of friendship in relation to Adriana and the FBI agent. He cogitated uh, on how genuinely sad he felt for her upon discovering that this person she presumed was her friend turned out to be anything but. Don't get me wrong, I love all the analytical stuff, but a podcast comes alive when emotions are engendered now and again. It speaks to us... (laughs) I love this guy. It speaks to us about the nature of any friendship. Is it one of convenience, mutual benefit? Will it run its course, or is it one of the handful of true, lasting friendships that will endure? He referred to Westworld and how in that show they reduce humans to a simple set of motivations. I appreciated the fact that Jordan was moved at Adriana's plight, but amused at his antipathy towards the feds. They're simply doing their job on behalf of a society that maintains an ambivalent attitude to organized crime. Our listeners love the feds. <laughs> let's start the, a bunch let's, of narcs let's over start here. the feds podcast <laughs> it's the sopranos podcast but we only cover the fbi scenes <laughs> however this led me to suspect a possible david chase cosmic joke here seeing as a key component of the show is melfi analyzing this mob boss and in her own way reducing him to his basic components drives and issues very good yes mm-hmm. the feds manipulate adriana with ease as part of their goal to convict what is melfi's goal little more than 300 big ones per hour and some extra cachet at dinner parties as far as i can see mm. did we buy that i don't know alan is she just in this for the 300 a month no, I don't no, think so. Session? I don't no. think so. I don't know that Alan means that seriously. I don't, no, I don't yeah, think yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan. I, I don't think you mean that you think Melfi's just in this for the money. Um, I think these are all astute observations. Uh, similar to Brian's email that we just read. Yes, we understand that the Feds are just doing their job, but the show depicts them in such a way where there's really no sympathy for them. I keep hearing listeners, not just not just you, Alan, and not just Brian. Uh, our friend David, friend of the podcast David, uh, also did this, where uh, he talked about uh, saying, you know, th- these characters are all objectively bad people. We should be condemning their behavior, and we should be kind of on the side of something that brings this to justice. Mm. Uh, that them all going to jail and this organization being dismantled would be the ultimate good ending for this show. I just don't read that when I'm watching the show. Mm. I'm never watching the show thinking, boy, I hope they get them this week. I think that's like a weird way to look at the show. Yeah. I don't know. I struggle there with, are so I many shows that like as that. Well. There's so many shows like that. You want to watch the cops get the bad guys? Watch Law and Order. It happens every single week. Yeah. You know? that That's not what this show is. I, I'm yeah. sure I should be cheering for the DEA to catch Heisenberg. <laughs> right. Breaking Bad. <laughs> right. Uh, but as long as they don't, one of the best shows ever keeps on stringing. Yeah. Um, and the complication with this, um, even though I think Brian and Alan are both onto something, yes, we, we should be wanting a society where the 
the law enforcement can root this out. What do you do if we're identified with the criminals and the law enforcement either doesn't give us very much to identify with or some of the things they give us to identify with are more unpleasant than the career criminals. Right. Right. Which is deliberately done, at, I think. At minimum on the show, we would need more FBI characters or at least one or two that we were really interested in mm. and we knew more about them and we saw the stakes, the personal emotional stakes for them. Mm. Uh, you know, Alan, you led your email by saying that you think the, the podcast becomes... Uh, you know, basically more interesting when real emotions are involved. It's very hard to have real emotions about the FBI agents on the show yes. and about their cause because it is so robotic. And the stakes just seem to be to accomplish their mission, which they don't seem to have really many personal feelings about, at least so far. Uh, I'm not the series expert here. I don't know if we get any big FBI characters that become really uh, a huge part of the series, but it seems like the series is always going to center the gangsters and so those are the people that I'm going to have empathy for. I, I just don't really care so much about the plight of the FBI. Yeah, you know, the they're just doing their jobs is tough for me too because they're doing their they're just doing their jobs by any means necessary. What it so so at what point is just doing your job crossing a line too? If if Adriana is a criminal, arrest her. If Adriana is attached to this family and she is in a danger to society, they should arrest her, right? So it, by using her like that, right? And I understand that this is how investigations work and all of that. You know, that I'm not trying to say that, you know, it's perfect. I'm just saying it's more complicated than they're just doing their job. I think if you're just doing your job, find evidence that Christopher has done something and convict him for it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that bringing Adriana involved, getting Adriana involved is the right thing to do to just do your job. So I just think that the conversation's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Alan, just to the Westworld point, I, I think something I brought up there was just... Um, uh, I think I was actually trying to get to something deeper about the show, which is just to say that, you know, underneath all the complications of emotion, it seems like everybody can just be kind of reduced down to their simple drives, their simplest motivations. And, um, uh, you know, in terms of what Melfi has figured out about Tony, I don't think she's fully cracked the code there yet. And I think what motivates her is not the $300 an hour. I think she still hasn't solved what this man is about. Uh, in a way that he can uh, use to improve his life in any way, and in a way that will mutually satisfy her. I think she has skin in that game, and I have to believe, even though I don't know for sure, because I don't really know what's coming next, that there will be a more satisfying conclusion to that relationship, or at least a next step that moves us beyond just the simple fact of Tony wasn't loved by his mother, and now he is violent and depressed. Mm. Right? I, I, there has to be more. The sin for her is not greed. I yeah. think it might be pride. Agreed. She can't, she still thinks she can help him. Yeah. Right. She might be wrong. Yeah. Well, and I also think she sees how her, the people around her would just abandon him. And mm. I think she thinks he deserves some help. And if no one else is going to do it, I have to do it. Mm. You know, if she sends him to a behaviorist, will he end up just getting thrown to the wayside and forgotten about so she can control the situation she thinks she can get somewhere? She may be wrong, and that's where the pride comes in. But I agree, I don't think it's the money that, that motivates her. Yeah. 
Alan continues. In episode four, Jordan raised the notion of reversing the Ginny Sack situation and imagining if it was Tony's wife that was the butt of weight jokes. This was interesting because you all had concurred that Tony and Carmela's relationship is far more of a contractual one than a romantic one. Indeed, Carmela appears to be way more in the know than any of the other wives or girlfriends. Uh, in this, she is reminiscent of Livia. Crucially, though, she has less needs and darkly maybe needy and darkly manipulative than Tony's mother. Instead, Tony, consciously or not, taps into that facet with his choices of mistresses. As Melfi points out, Carmela's the best choice you've ever made. This is the best. Meanwhile, I congratulate you all for creating an interesting discussion out of the car crash that is Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> I've only endured that episode once, and goodness, it was a slog. Yeah, yeah. Your conclusions as to the small-mindedness of much of these pride events and how they often only trigger more strife, I totally concur with you on. Those are my thoughts so far. I hope they are encouraging in some way. Regards, Alan. P.S. I may be in danger of becoming a Jordan fanboy at this rate. Oh, no. yeah. oh there you go. Wow. Wow. Alan, you know what? I'm an Alan fanboy. We I, was, are... I was the most excited to get to your letter today yeah. when Chris said we had one. We are uh, Alan fanboys. And I got to tell we you are. what, Alan. Keep writing in, and we will always read your emails and, and letters on the show. Because your vocabulary is terrific, and you're hilarious, yeah. and we love having you listen. And God save the king, Alan. We love you. And good <laughs> insights. Uh, you know, to Alan's points, um, Tony seeks out mistresses that seem most similar to his mother mm -hmm. in some way, right? So that is true. I don't know that Carmela is Livia-like. I don't know that that... I don't see that. I think he meant... In the way she knows things. Oh, yes. She's involved. I, you're right. I'm sorry. Yes, I agree there. Yeah. But the, I, the whole... I don't think he was comparing her oh, to I understand. Livia. Okay. Just... But, but the whole Gloria, Irina, Valentina, yeah. just these are all, they're all Livia-esque. Mm. Yeah. Right. Crucially in his marriage, it seems like he went the other way. Right. Correct. So it's like he, he, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's Carmela almost can never be enough because he still needs the approval of his mother. She's no longer around, so he seeks out these surrogates, dark-haired women, deeply, and, deeply troubled, and we see hard what, to satisfy. We see what has it's brought to pass at yeah. the end of season right. four. So. Yeah. Right. All right, this is going to be the last one. This is from Tommy. Um, I think he, he wrote us a just a quick compliment, and then a, I think he shared a poem that he wrote, because it has his name on it for Ooh, the copyright thing. <laughs> Um, you guys are totally amazing. I have tried them all. You are the best. Oh, thanks, thank Tommy. You. Thank thanks, you. Tommy. Uh, your insight and analysis are both top drawer. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, I'll read man. your poem that you sent, and you, you're written as the author here, so I'll take you for this, and we'll let uh, everyone decide what they think of it. The Eternally Single Sopranos Fan by Tom. We both sat, sat silently, observing the early spring snow, it's a sign of the end of the world, just like the Twin Towers, she declared. Seeing my chance, I pounced. I know, Quasimodo predicted all this. Grinning, I turned my head. Nothing. Her mouth remained motionless, her eyes unwavering on every flake, in empty and dreaded silence. I slowly made my way upstairs, the bedroom, to pack. Just one bag, overnight. I had never fully committed. <laughs> Tommy, that was uh, solidly unsentimental. <laughs> Thank you, Tom, for sending that. Really Thank you, Tommy. 
Yeah, and uh, that's going to do it for viewer mail. Thank you all. Uh, we love this stuff. Please keep reaching out. Social media, we're at The Sopranos Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Sopranos Podcast on Twitter, thesopranospodcast at gmail.com. Keep the mail coming. This is yes. one of my favorite segments. I love this. I love how riled up we get. And obviously more people wrote in, but if we didn't get yes. to yours, that doesn't mean we didn't read it or that we didn't care about Correct. it. It's just... Uh, we, we love hearing from you, so well, please, the, please this, continue to at write. At this point, we have a pretty sizable audience. I mean, though, we could we could do a whole show about it. Maybe at the end, if we have leftover emails or stuff, you know, messages that we've gotten, uh, we can when we do like a series retrospective, we can do a big, long one. But let's see. Uh, let's get back to our retrospective here with a top three! Top, top three! Top three! three. three. Oh, top three. <laughs> Rip a hole in the sun! No. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> um, oh, my God. This is a big one, boys and girls. Uh oh. Top three characters slash performances. Impossible. <laughs> I know, right? Impossible <laughs> list. And I have honorable mentions for this yes. one. Easy number one, I think, but an impossible list. Who wants to start? Lily, you, you haven't started one. Yeah, Lily, yeah. Alright, well, my honorable mentions are uh, Artie Bucco. Yes. Mm. Interesting. And Christopher. Normally he's in my list, but I can't, I can't right now. Um, so my number three is Joanna De Matteo, Adriana. Ooh, interesting. Very nice. Uh, I have a feeling we all have the same number one, but let's see how this shakes out. Um, my, I have one honorable mention this season, and uh, you may say it's silly, but fuck you. It brings me a lot of joy, this performance, this character. Val Basolio as Murph in season four is my honorable mention. Wow. <laughs> no one saw that. <laughs> this character that is hilarious to me. I love his voice. I love the way Junior interacts with him. It's hilarious. Uh, okay. My number three is Vince Curatola as Johnny Sack. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah. I have two honorable mentions. The first is Artie Bucco yeah. to Echo Lily. I think Everybody Hurts is a great episode. And I think he's a wonderful actor that just earns his keep every season. Yep. Maximizes his minutes. Yes. Yep. Terrific. Um... My other honorable mention is Christopher. Um, yep, Lily again. Um, he's uh, got a great presence in this season because of the nature of his uh, addiction and, and how he plays the role. It, it, it isn't as forward as maybe it could have been. A different show might have centered it differently. Um, but it's a great performance. My number three is also Johnny Sack. Okay, very cool. I like that we're the same number three. Honorable mention. Uh, Dre DiMatteo is Adriana. Number three, Michael Imperioli, Christopher Moltisante. Mm. Nice. My number two is Ralph Zaffaretto. My number two is Joe Pantoliano as Ralph Zaffaretto. My number two is Ralph Zaffaretto. My number two is Ralph Zaffaretto. Should wow. we say our number one yeah, again? Yeah, I mean, One, two, two three. three. Carmela Soprano. Soprano. Okay, so we're all, all the same your two. season, baby. We're all the same two and the same one. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about our number threes, because I think we were like, some were, did you, did you have Chris as well for your number? You He's had, an honorable mention, I have Adriana. You have Adriana, you have Chris Paul. And I had Adriana as my honorable mention. Right. Yeah. So we'll talk about Chris and Adriana. Johnny Sack is our honorable mention. And then we player. have Johnny Sack shared. Let's talk about Chris and Adriana, uh, as far as their performance and, and characters go. I, I mean, what can be said about these performances? Chris did an amazing, Michael Pirelli did a hell of a job, obviously, and 
Always does. Dre DiMatteo's importance is radically stepped up this season. Yeah, they stepped up her writing, and then yep. she stepped up to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, she's she's perfection in this season. Um, I think Adriana's perfection forever, but um, the way Dre DiMatteo handles this role, she's just... She's another one... Edie Falco, I noticed the acting because she's just monumental. It's it's easy to kind of separate and appreciate both. But similarly to James Gandolfini as Tony, I never think of Drea DiMatteo. I only ever see Adriana. She is so perfect and authentic in the world and everything is believable. Everything. She earns every line. She's just... She gets it, and she's just so seamless. It's effortless watching her. I just think she's the bee's knees. She is the bee's knees. She is. Our number three, uh, and I was wrestling with this one, because Christopher, I say every season, is my favorite, one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite non-Tony character. But he never makes my top three, uh, and I had a hard time. But you know what? Vince Curatola is... Perfect in this role, and yeah, he had a particularly compelling season here. And this is not a Michael Imperioli versus Grins- no, Vince conversation. They're it both, ama- be. They're both yeah, amazing. You only have three choices, and right. there's so many great. Uh, for me, Johnny Sack is just—he uh, is one of the engines that just keeps this season running. Yeah. Whether it is the deep offense he takes on behalf of his wife, from the comment from Ralph uh, ordering the hit on Ralph. Then suddenly trying to negotiate this deal gone bad between Carmine and Tony, and then, uh, uh, you know, crowning the season with a, a move to maybe become the boss yeah. of one of the five families of New York. Incredibly important performance, but also just a really good, very dynamic performance from a character who's really smart and uh, can be really manipulative, but also very likable. You know, so it, it really a great performance. I, I, I agree fully, man. And he, and he has gravitas. He really feels like this, like, you know, if I had to pick two people who are, you know, some of the most, three people, if I had to pick the top three most believable actual gangsters on the show, it would be James Gandolfini, Tony Sirico as Paulie, and Vince Curatola as Johnny Sack. Like, I can see this guy as a high-level mob operator and buy it. Yeah. You look at him and he just, he's got the eyes. And this season was particularly fascinating because we got to see different sides of him. Uh... Watching him beat up Donny K and piss on him, yeah. His seeing this character's berserk button pushed, yeah, was was a fascinating thing to watch. And then watching his relationship with Tony as he navigates this trouble with Carmine, just great stuff. We really get to see his power. We 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 feel his power in the previous seasons because he's such a dynamic actor and the writing yep. is good. Mm-hmm. But we really get to see his power and why he is where he is. It's also the parallel of he's a character to me who's very similar to Tony in where he is in his career, right? Mm. In his operation, he's the one that is smart Mm. and sees all the sides of a thing and probably knows how it could be fixed. But unlike Tony, Johnny Sack's hands are tied. He can't go over Carmine's head. He's beholden to the family and that duty. He wants what Tony has. He wants to be unfettered. He wishes he had Carmine where Junior is, right? Uh, basically dealing with a trial, very ill, locked off in a house somewhere, not really the boss, just a lightning rod, right? He doesn't have that. He, he kind of knows 
the way to fix everything, but he has doesn't have the means to do it. Mm. He's begging for Tony to finally give him the power that he feels he deserves, and, and the New York family might be better off because of it. Yeah, well said. Let's talk about our collective number two, because he's this is the last time we're going to get to talk about him. Please allow me to introduce myself. <laughs> I'm a man of wealth and taste. Ralph Zaffaretto, what a mark he's left on the show. Yeah, he's, he's such a unique character. Joe Pantoliano brings such an interesting quality to this guy. He's the, a fucking demon. Yeah. A demon from hell. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he he's cute, he's well-coiffed, but he's dangerous, and he's demented, and he's evil. And it's fascinating. It's great. He's a, he's a, he's a crazy... And they made you kind of feel sorry for him, and then they killed him off. Yes. Um, <laughs> which is, I mean, he would have been my number one based on that last episode, were it not for the last episode of the season, which yeah. Carmella then grabs us by the scruff of the neck and, you know, does her thing. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible season for him, even though he doesn't make it past episode nine. Uh, he had a few fun moments early on. They play him for a lot of laughs mm. early on in this season. That might be deliberate, too. He's still funny later on, but it gets more dangerous. Uh, it gets more, because all the stuff with Valentina, even though that's got a fun element to it, it gets serious. Um, Joey Pants, I th I've said it before, um, he's been in a lot of cool stuff that I love, including uh, The Goonies, one of my favorite movies. Um, this is his career best work. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that he can, that we can stomach a second of him on screen at any point after what he does to Tracy speaks to Joe Pantoliano's Absolutely. charisma. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that we can somehow compartmentalize that and enjoy moments with him when he is funny. And that's what makes Ralph, listen, you hear all the time about these real life serial killers and sociopaths who will charm the fucking pants off you and then brutally murder somebody. It's, it's just crazy. Yeah. yeah, to date, he's, uh, in my viewing experience, the most vile creature to come out of David Chase's mind. He's worse than Richie April. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you've all said, very eloquently, it's been amazing to watch this actor work through this character and to give this character a life that we can even have sympathy for by the time we get to whoever did this. I do not know what the darkness is in Ralphie's past specifically, but it is also interesting in that it uh, gives us a window into how we can look at these guys. We've kind of been trained, right? We're trying to look at Tony and try to figure out, well, what happened to this guy that makes him the way he is? We don't get therapy scenes with Ralph of Cifaretto, but I wonder what those would look like. God. Would we even be able to stomach it? Right. You know? Rough. But the fact that they leave it ambiguous, but give you just enough, that's it's, so juicy. It's almost, it's almost worse. That's, that's such disciplined writing, too. Yeah. It would be so easy for a writer to just overshare and make it, slip it into a cliche. And sometimes it's it's like the old thing where, you know, the, the monster's more scary before you see it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so having something in his past that has blackened his soul, and we kind of have an idea, but have to just imagine how bad it was for this guy to be the product, oof, great stuff. Great character. David Chase really uh, did something special here, as did Joey Pants. Right, well, it's also an exercise in how dark will your brain go mm. not having those answers. Yeah. Can you even fathom what happened? Where does your brain go thinking about it? Right. And that's pretty amazing, too. It's pretty impactful. It is. Now I gotta go. <laughs> that moment when he just gets up, when Tony even mentions uh, his mother tries to delve, just puts down his bowl full of olives and just steps out. That moment is really 
for something so underplayed, very telling. Oh, yeah. It's great. Great shit. Thank you, Joe Pantoliano, for this scintillating performance. Uh, I'm. This is not a criticism of the show. Uh, it sucks that you're no longer on the show, though, because your presence was massive, and you you are missed. Pour one out for show. Tony's best earner. That's right. Yep. And the collective number one. Uh, all I have to say about this before I pass it on is every season we give the disclaimer before our top characters' performances that we don't include James Gandolfini as Tony because that's sort of the given and he would be the number one every year. This is the one first year that pro- that might be challenged. Mm-hmm. Tony's number one spot. He's always a dynamic performer. The show owes so much to him. He's on every minute. He's right there every time, every episode. But Edie's performance this season is so special, so monumental. This character deserves this number one spot, and I think might have taken several of our number one spots, if not all, even if we were including Tony. Tremendous, earth-shaking work. She's a queen. She's a goddess. Edie Falco. That's (laughs) All right, and on it goes. Let's uh, talk a little bit about, before we get into the next top three, uh, a, an important arc for the season. Uh, we talked a little bit in our character breakdown, but let's just flesh this out for where we are and where we're going. The Chris and Adriana progression this season. Chris, of course, rock bottom. Uh, we really, you know, he's always had a drug problem, a temper problem, a discipline problem, but it all spiraled this season. We find him clean and sober in the finale, but it was rough getting there, and he instituted his worst moments of abuse on Adriana that we've seen yet and it was just it got real ugly and not knowing where this is all going it made it looked like Chris might not have made it out of this season unsca- uh, alive uh, at several points so thoughts on that and thoughts on uh, thoughts on Adriana's journey uh, you know her, her world was rocked in the season four episode two uh, in season four episode two no show when she became an informant for the feds and this is clearly something the show is going to drag out longer. How do we feel? Too long? Working well? What's working? How do we feel about everybody's journey in the Chris and Adriana corner of the world? Well, at the risk of doing a misogyny, um, <laughs> I think Adriana is played as a victim in this season. Yeah, I think the actor does a great job of doing that. Um, I don't think she has much agency this season because the one play she tries to make to save herself which is to accelerate a marriage between her and Chris uh, is completely blown up in her face Um, she really is trapped uh, being literally pulled apart uh, by the FBI on one side and her obligations to the family on the other both these things could represent uh, or sorry both these things could result in ruin for her uh, and while she is being made to endure that, the person that she's trying to protect, the person she loves, is literally beating her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it's it's hard to watch someone go through this. Uh, I think she has a similar kind of an arc to Carmela this season, where it's just like, how much can you take before you pop? At least for the time being, this season, it is made somewhat better by Chris going to rehab and promising to change. I hope that sticks, mm. but it, it really goes to a really horrible place before it gets to that. Yeah. I'm concerned for her future. Yeah. Yes, uh, that's well said. It, it does strike me that Adriana and Chris both find themselves in sort of a different 
kind of hell. Yeah. One being addiction, the other one being pulled back and forth. But yeah, Chris is also exacting this abuse on her, and um, she doesn't know where to turn. As the last beat, it's a small beat with her. I think it's one of the only times I see her in white caps. Um, is with the FBI agent, and she's, again, pulled in between. So we just see it threading out. We don't know exactly where it's going. It doesn't make me feel good. But no, I, I, I dig it. I like a lot of the stuff with them in this season. I, um, I'm intrigued to go on the journey next season with our audience. The reason why the objective morality doesn't work for me, or at least I struggle with any of it, because it would be so easy for me to hate Christopher just truly hate him especially this season especially watching how he hits her um and i don't hate him and i don't under i i legitimately can't tell you why but i'm somehow still rooting for him and and i know that he's an addict but he also you know is still needs to be held accountable for his actions and yet like i'm still rooting for him i still love him and i don't understand it but I do, and so that's what's amazing about this show, right? It really makes you question where you're coming from and, and where your allegiances lie, and why is it that? That's you such know? an interesting thing you said. I like that because we struggle, as people who put out content, especially analyzing a show, sometimes a moment happens and you feel a certain way, and you really, we try to dig deep to find out why and what's behind it, but sometimes it's okay to say, I like this character and I can't understand why, but I do. That's okay. I think that's fair, and I, I feel similarly about Chris. He's a terrible person. He's not someone I would be friends with in real life. Uh, he does shitty things to Adriana. He's a criminal. He's not particularly bright. And he's, you know, he's not someone I would collaborate with creatively based on what I've seen of his screenwriting ability. So, uh, you know. He taps on his shoes. <laughs> the roof is soft tar! But, yeah, so this is a hell of a journey. Um... No, no spoilers here. I would say that season five is shaping up to be a big one for Chris and Adriana because it would have to be. Yeah, just based on where we leave off with them, there's yeah. so much dangling, and the big question for Chris is: Can he maintain his sobriety and lead this family into the future? Question for Adriana is: What future even is there uh, for anybody involved in this? And is there any way out that doesn't involve absolute catastrophic destruction? We'll see. But what an interesting journey. I think it's time for another top three. Top three. Oh, I liked that little top top three thing. That was cool. That's cool. Thank you. Um, <laughs> top three moments. The hardest category. This is absolutely the hardest category. Moments are so. It's like, what constitutes a moment? I, oh, Lord. What constitutes a fidget? Um, <laughs> that was pretty decisive. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. My runner-up, I'll start. My runner-up moment, and I'm sure this is might be on somebody, at least somebody's list here, is Christopher's intervention. Yes, it's on my list. Yeah, yes, that's a, of course. Yeah. That's my runner-up. Runner-up. That's a runner-up. My number three is we've talked about it, so we don't have to delve when it gets around to it. But Dean Martin live at the Sands. Ah. I just it it makes me so happy. <laughs> number. Th- yeah. That's your number three. That's my number three. Dean Martin live at the Sands. All right. Um, I have six honorable mentions that I'm cutting down in this moment down to just my, my, my two honorable mentions and I'll go number three. My first honorable mention is Ralphie's prank call 
in whoever oh did my this, God. which comes yes. from, of course, uh, Officer Mike Hunt of the uh, Pennsylvania Beaver Falls, uh, Pennsylvania. Beaver yeah. Falls, Pennsylvania. Yes, <laughs> no, absolutely. It's a mistake. Yes, uh, he's all right, man, but I'm afraid he's in a little bit of trouble. We found him in the men's room in Lafayette Park. I don't know how to put this delicately. He was uh, sucking a Cub Scout's dick. What? That's a mistake. No, ma'am, I wish it was, uh, but uh, we had to have emergency surgery performed upon arrival at headquarters after discovering a small rodent in the rectal passage. Oh, my God. A gerbil, ma'am. The county does not cover procedures deemed uh, cause uh, sexual activity. Section 4, paragraph 15. Uh, we'll need insurance number. Oh, my God. I have Blue Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> I'm on the other line with the insurance company. Can you hold? Oh, God. Um, that's honorable mention one for me. Honorable mention two, I'm cutting this down, um, is... Uh, in No Show, uh, season four, episode two, Meadow, in a fight with her parents about what she's doing about Ooh. her college situation, refers to her dad as Mr. Mob Boss. Mm. Something she's never done to his face like that. It's a great moment. And it awakens in Tony something that we don't usually see in him in his house with his family, which is what I refer to as his dark other. Mm. Oh, you wanted Mr. Mob Boss? Here he is. You summoned him. Yeah. And, and I think she didn't quite realize what she was about to do, and then that other Tony shows up and you're like, oh, no. Yeah. You know, uh, a really cool moment. Yeah, Very cool, cool moment. Um, my number three moment is the intervention scene in the strong silent type because yeah. how could it not be? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I got a few quick honorable mentions. The no-show scene that Jordan just eloquently framed out. Um, the end of Pi Oh My, Tony and Pi, mm -hmm. just the yes. tableau. Yep. Uh, everybody Hurts, the Tony and Gloria dream. Mm -hmm. And Eloise, I just call this Melville dinner. Where they're talking about <laughs> whether or not Billy Budd is gay. Um, and number three, Christopher's intervention, strong yeah. silent type. Yeah, there you go. Uh, my number three is Carmela brings AJ to Furio's house. Oh, that's great. Why am I always having to come here? <laughs> <laughs> Tells Meadow, it was a real pain in the ass. <laughs> Dude, uh, meeting's over. over. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. My number two, pretty simple, Tony kills Ralphie. Mm -hmm. uh, my number two, uh, the Phantom of the Dark Lady on the Stairs. Mm. Final dream sequence, calling all cars. Chris can read my number two. Whoever did this, just, yeah, Tony kills Ralphie. Yep. My number two is the intervention. Awesome. Mm. My number one moment is the Tony and Carmela scene in White Caps uh, by the pool that goes into the home theater room. That's mm -hmm. that's the whole thing coming out and unraveling and manifesting itself. That is also my number one. Uh, my number one is Tony kills Ralph Cifaretto, mm -hmm. whoever did this. My number one is the boat in White Caps, Dean Martin at <laughs> the Sands. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I <laughs> love that. A lot of overlapping this category. We've talked a lot about uh, Dean Martin at the Sands. Um, so let's give a little time here to uh, a couple moments that, that stood out. Uh, one, of course, I think we got to talk about the the actual murder of Ralph is something worth talking about. And I think the, uh, you know, we, 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 we talked a lot in our Whitecaps episode about the importance of the scenes uh, between Carmel and Tony. So we may not need to double down a ton on that. But yeah, let's 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 talk about this stuff. And then the, uh, who had a, you know, someone else had a different one. I had the Dark Lady on the Stairs, the dream sequence. Mm. Um, we did talk about that a bit already because we covered dream sequences as one of our topics. Yeah. So I'll just very briefly say, it's a point of fascination for me, and it is, it is the reason to bring Dr. Melfi back to the show. 
and I really hope it happens because this is the thing that is at the core of Tony. It's eating away at him. It's like in the horror movie where the demon attaches to the person yeah. and not to the house, right? Uh, Tony is haunted by this forever. And unless he gets a strategy to deal with it, it will eat him alive. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it kills him or puts him in jail or destroys everything around him, uh, unless he walks up the stairs and confronts the spirit of his mother uh, in a way that he can actualize, uh, he's finished. Mm. Um, I hope Melfi comes back to give him the tools to do that. And I think that dream sequence is fucking terrifying, and it feels very dreamlike to me. Yeah. Not in a way of just like, hey, cool, look at all this symbolism and stuff. I just, it felt like a dream I would have. Yeah. It feels like I'm here and I'm me, but I'm not. I'm speaking in a voice that's unfamiliar to myself. I don't know where I am, and am I in the right spot? And oh God, what's that thing on the stairs? I I'm terrified of it, but I want to get closer. And as I do, I wake up, and there are no answers for me. Mm. It just stops. Yeah. Um, this is the maze that Tony is now walking in with no guidance. Uh, this is what we hope is illuminated in season five or in the future. This is the first time I'm going to do this. I'm amending my list. I'm officially swapping uh, Dean Martin Live at the Sands into my honorable mention and Chris's intervention in episode three. I must have been distracted when I was writing this top three. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, let's talk about the intervention and then we'll talk about the Ralph murder. Sure. Um, the intervention is just one of the funniest scenes on the show. It, it might be the Maybe ever. Scene. Uh, so it, it has to be in the, in the top three. And it is for almost for all of us, right? Yes. Assuming yeah. my amended list. It's just great. All of these personalities on display in one room. The fucking guy they have running it. The pork the stew letter, <laughs> pork loin guy. It's... Who thought this would work? <laughs> I think just him. Yeah, he thought it would work for a I know it's like organized crime, but these aren't like organized people. Yeah. You know, like, this isn't something that they're going to, like, they're not articulate, they're not feelings sharers, none of this is going to go well, and we get to watch, and aren't we lucky? It's so fun. It also brings, like, a little taste of therapy to everybody, yeah. in the most chaotic way. You, you get is... a little bit of a, we get Tony with Melfi, you get a little glimpse of, like, right. how somebody, like, Silvio in therapy. Right. You're... Good luck. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Tony seeming to try to keep it on track once the once the little shit box the dog comes up he's useless oh yeah he just because he's sentimentalized how could you not it. see it there on the chair um, <laughs> yeah it's a great it's a great sequence it's really funny as Lily says it the, one of the serious things about it is it points out these guys even if they really could get past themselves at some level and they want to help each other they can't yeah they're oh, all they too don't... fucked yeah yep. absolutely before we get into Ralphie. Um, unless we're not done with the intervention. You're weak, you're out of control, and you become an embarrassment to yourself and everybody else. Whoa! <laughs> well, you said non-judgmental. Fuck that. Let him take his medicine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just so good. It's sorry. And yeah, uh, so... Before we get into Ralph, I yeah. wanted to mention Carmela bringing AJ... Because I don't think that was on anybody oh, else's list. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that moment, especially the first time. I know she keeps bringing him. But it's so self-aware. It's so just real of, like, if I go there without him, something's going to happen. Right. Nothing yeah. will happen if AJ is there. Yeah. And I love that self-awareness. And I love... I just find it amusing. I find, But I also find it very smart. It's a good move on Carmela, but it's also a really good foil to she's being so careful about her feelings. And then you've got Tony with a he knows she left the 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 fingernail and they don't 
locate it before they leave the hotel room. Mm. Right. She's being so careful, and he just doesn't give a shit. And so it's just, it's this really great moment mm. that brings me a lot of, of joy, but also thought, and I love Carmella and Edie Falco. There's a great Edie Falco moment in one of those visits with H. It makes me laugh every time. She brings AJ there, and this is one of the quick ones. It's not like later on in the season she goes for extended periods time, of time. Yeah. But this one is one of the early ones, and she just goes to knock on Furio's front door and tell him something about the garage. And Furio invites her in after a couple lines of dialogue, and she just looks at AJ like, ooh, we're being invited in, and AJ just looks miserable. <laughs> it make, cracks me up. She's like, oh, oh, yeah, we'll go in. And AJ's like, what the fuck? I want to go home. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so yeah, good. it's it's oh, yeah. Poor kid. Great, great, great pick, Lily. Uh, th- those moments are great. Um, just quickly, I don't want to double back too much, but we did because we did talk a lot about this scene in our White Caps episode. But this scene with Tony and Carmela that Paul and I had on our list uh, by the pool and then in the uh, theater. I mean, what 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 can you say about that? It speaks for itself. Uh, it's just a the acting, the acting, the writing. Um, another great thing that they do uh, that the Sopranos often does is. One of the most important things in the scene is not emphasized, which is that Tony embodies Livia. Yeah. When he says, he talked to you, huh? oh, poor you. Nobody lingers on that. Carmela comes back in and says what she needs to say, which is, he made me feel like I mattered. Yeah. But the audience has been trained to note these things. I think the audience, even in it not being emphasized, will say, oh, oh Yeah. Um, and that will guide them going forward. I love that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but... The championship belt for Edie Falco in that scene. Yeah. Right? You fucking hypocrite. Great. Mm. Just great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is... It's also great because there is so much lying and bullshit on the show. This is the most real either of them get with each other at any point. It's, and it's <clears throat> explosive and painful and hard to watch, but very yeah. good. In less capable hands, a scene like that could become very stage actory, but yeah. it, it instead feels very real. Yeah. And then let's talk about this murder of Ralphie. So in a season that is the least violent overall season, meaning no real major character deaths, uh, there is a site that website that I've seen that tracks every murder on the show ever, and this season has the least. Uh, but, oof, this Ralph Cifaretto murder, just the way the whole, first of all, the way the whole scene plays out. To put it in the middle of an episode that they make you feel for Ralphie the way they do with the sing with his son and the wonderful emotional acting by Joe Pantoliano. The visits to Father Phil, ooh, and <laughs> and uh, just just this tough thing that he's dealing with here, and then you have this barn. I love the mystery. We had strong opinions on whether or not he actually burned it down, mm-hmm. but I just love that that's ambiguous and never truly, actually, officially answered. And the accusations hurl. The argument they have before is tremendous. The way Tony's just subtly poking. The eggs. I love that moment when Ralphie's stirring the eggs and then realizes what's being implied and just kind of stops. Mm-hmm. That lightning bolt, that, that fire was a bolt from beyond. It was always something. And they, what are you talking about? She bounced back. And then, you know, they just, it gets personal. Don't give me that look. It was a fucking horse. What are you, a vegetarian? You eat beef and sausage by the fucking carload. Boom! Punch! And they have this amazing, natural, so many fights in TV shows are like, you know, this is not a criticism of the kung fu genre, but like, 
it looks, you know, so many TV fights are like Jackie Chan style fights where everything is clean and you block it. This is two guys fighting and scrapping for their fucking lives, yes. grabbing everything they can. It's dirty. That kitchen gets trashed. There's raid in the eyes. There's knives. There's broken glass. There's choking. It's fucking great. And then, of course, the whole aftermath. Any thoughts on this before we move on? It's just such a monumentally important scene, and it's done so well. And the thrusting into the change of format in the episode is so fascinating, too. Yeah. You know, it's just such a unique... I mean, right, we'll, we'll get into our top episodes. Spoiler alert, this is on mine. Um, <laughs> but it's just such a unique episode. And yeah, that fight choreographer deserves a lot of praise, money, yeah. whatever. There's not much to add by my right. lights, what you guys said. That's why I love that scene. Among other things, though as the way it turns into a bottling episode, Tony gets the call that Paiomai has died. He's in bed with Valentina, and seemingly they, it's like early morning. He goes there, then goes to Ralph's house, and they're making breakfast. It's like, what? So what, let's say it's like 9 a.m. So Tony beats Ralphie to death in his kitchen at like 9 o'clock in the morning. So they have to wait all day mm. in this dead guy's house and prep his body, prep his body, then sit and eat peanut butter out of a jar... Well, Chris, like, comes down off of his heroin high to wait for Dark. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, that episode, whoever did this, has um, <clears throat> those three events that seemingly happen maybe by chance, right? We have um, Junior gets hit in the head with the microphone and goes down the stairs. Uh, that leads to him spiraling out into the early onset dementia. Um, we get Justin is hit by the arrow mm -hmm. that is fired up in the air and comes down, hits him, uh, also like a bolt from the blue, uh, puts him in the hospital. It's going to give him speech delays, all kinds of things, maybe worse. We don't know. And then also the stables catch fire. It of course is likely that Ralph set that fire, but it's at least presented initially as such that this is something that could have been electrical, right? It could have happened though. The way that Tony is eyeing the stable, it really seems like it was probably arson. And then we have this confrontation between the two of them that, uh, you know, Ralph actually mentions Bolt from the Blue or whatever he says. It's like a, a chance encounter. And I, I think this encounter is, it is charged with that energy of random action. Mm. Ralph did not wake up that morning expecting to die. Tony did not go to his apartment expecting to kill him. Mm. And it's the spontaneity of the fight that really makes it such yeah. a dynamic scene. If Tony was going to be there to go kill Ralph, this is not how the fight would have started. There's something in the words there that just makes Tony realize, I'm, I'm going to hit him. And then at some point in the fight, this becomes like, this is more than just a physical fight. One of us will die. Yeah. Um, and to watch that all happen in real time, being charged up by all this kind of random chaos energy going into this fight, is just, I think, the best fight I've ever seen on television because I feel like the outcome could be just as chaotic as the uh, things that got us here. The precipitous nature of the narrative up to that point uh, has just been wild and, and erratic. I, I don't think that Tony came there, uh, you know, with the intent of killing Ralph. He certainly has his mind made up already mm. that Ralph set the fire. I don't know that Ralph did. It seems to not matter, actually. But I don't know... <laughs> I don't know what Ralph could have said that would have put Tony off of this. Yeah. Um, 
it's a it's a really interesting fight. Uh, the actual fight choreography is beautiful. I also it's just an incredibly ugly fight. Yeah, uh, it's so nasty, and the way Ralph's body is disposed of is incredibly nasty oh, as well. Uh, that's very gruesome. Um, it's unforgettable, yeah. and even more unforgettable, it's episode nine. <laughs> yeah. It's the middle of episode nine, and yeah. you're like, "What? You're just as caught off guard as probably Ralph was while he was stirring those eggs." Yeah, well said. All right, so we're almost getting to the end of our retrospective here. We're going to do our uh, final top three in a few minutes. I just wanted to touch on a couple last quick things here just to close out our analysis of the whole season. We have um, one thing I wanted to talk about, just uh, because, and we don't have to go too deep on this because we did bring him up earlier as an honorable mention, but Artie Bucco had a, had a standout season, and John Ventimiglia continues to add more to this show every time we see him. Uh, and I just love that any of these actors you give an episode to, they really step up. And he's been there throughout the whole season, but his performance in Everybody Hurts is really special. And I'm sad, well, I'm sad to see Tony and Artie in this state, especially because Artie is alienated from Charmaine as well. Uh, what a what a season for Artie Vuko. Yeah, well, and also that episode Everybody Hurts in which he's uh, just so foolishly kind of tossed around... Um, it becomes kind of a grim portent of Tony's future once he's on the outs with Carmella. Uh, how he's now, now he's the one who may look like a fool, you know. Uh, though of course he's asked for it. Perhaps already did as well. Um, John Ventimiglia is a terrific actor, yeah. and I appreciate that that episode can be so miserable and so funny at the same time. Yeah, really yeah. terrific. Yeah, and he didn't have a whole lot where he else where he was emphasized, but that episode talk about maximizing your minutes. Yep, he he made it happen. That scene of him hyping up in the mirror. Just watch that on repeat. So great job, John Ventimiglia. Thank you. And then the last subject before our final top three, let's just touch down on the Soprano kids in a, in a, in a meaningful way and their journey for this season because a lot happened for them low-key considering they weren't the A storyline of the season. Uh, first of all, Meadow had a crazy start with No Show, that, that episode where she was... Yep. Grieving Jackie Jr. and having all of the, you know, kind of regressing and not registering for her classes on time and laying around the pool and going to parties and was frustrating Tony and Carmela. Then she wanted to go to Europe mm -hmm. and they have this big fight. We talked about the scene earlier in one of the moments. Um, Mr. Mob Boss, right. And mm -hmm. then we lose her for a few episodes and when we come back, she's really grown up. It's something like that was yeah. kind of like a, a catalyst for. Yeah, let's talk about it. Some eagle-eyed Sopranos viewers actually looked at the title of the episode, No Show, and noted that a no-show is also when a passenger does not appear with their ticket for a flight that they're scheduled to depart on. Mm. Oh, uh, they're, they're, smart. they're also referred to as no-shows. So uh, for all Meadows talk about uh, going to Europe and seeing Dr. Kobler, who advises her to go as well, she doesn't show up for that flight. She doesn't go to Europe. She goes back to school instead, and good for her. Meadow makes tremendous strides this season, and she's assorted, uh, associating herself with a better class of people but, of course, that's something that only pushes her out further from her mother. And, of course, this comes home in Eloise, where uh, they're unable to continue a mother-daughter tradition because there's a rift that is growing between them. Uh, that rift is largely composed of, you know, Meadow becoming more independent and Carmela hating her own dependence. Um, so there's, there's that going on there. Yeah. And AJ, also in Everybody Hurts, he's got a low-key season in a lot of ways. But actually... Everybody Hurts is his companion to uh, 
the fourth episode of the series, Meadowlands. Meadowlands, yeah. Where he, that was when he discovered that his dad was a mob boss, but maybe it's kind of cool. And here he discovers his dad is Penny Ant. Yeah. Yeah. And not that big a deal. Yeah, AJ has discovered where... It's incredibly sad. It's easy to laugh at AJ because he says buffoonish things, and he's a bit of a doofus, and Tony rags on him and grabs him for unwelcome kisses and uh, makes him has to teach him what gutters are and all the, you know, like, they, they, he, he's easy to laugh at in that sense. And he is also, he ha- like any kid, he has his annoying moments. But like you mentioned earlier that you're watching the season differently when it comes to Janice... Uh, watching the series differently this go around this go around I feel just dreadful for AJ yeah I agree uh what a sad low-key season he has because that's really what he comes to figure out is like not only are his friend a lot of the people in his life probably only interested in him because of who his dad is but who his dad is isn't even really all that special in the scheme of the world and that's sure. that's tough and yet despite that in white caps, AJ is seeking out his father's affection mm. and hoping to have a relationship that is salvaged there as if to say, look, regardless of what's happening with you and mom, can I, can I move in here? Can I live with you? Uh, she's always on my case. He's This happens a lot in divorce. Mm-hmm. He's taking his father's part uh, almost to try to patch things up as best he can and saying like, well, you two are getting divorced, but uh, listen, our, our relationship still matters, right? I, I matter. He wants mm-hmm. to hear he matters. You know, he wants to hear that maybe you two will get back together, right? That's that's a possibility. He has the naivete going on. It's uh, I, of course, feel horrible for Carmela in this, but I, I feel I, yeah, at times equally bad for AJ, who does not have the emotional wherewithal that Meadow has to be able to navigate this really difficult situation yeah. at the end of the season in particular. Um, I'm also looking at Devin Pillsbury and saying, uh, AJ, I don't know, what what is the future for you? What are you looking for in a girl? Uh, are you just with Devin because she's very pretty and you're just all sexed up right now because you're yeah. a, a horny teenage kid? That's the thing. Like, she's you know, not uh, someone that's good for you. She's uh, exploiting you for who you are as well. She likes you because you're the gangster's son. I don't yeah. think there's much else going on for you. And I, I, I know it's, you know, whatever. It's new and exciting for him, especially growing up kind of a chubby, quiet kid. He's uh, doing all this, that studying, wink, wink. Um, and it's probably, but, but, you know, that will lose its appeal in time. Uh, yep. you know, so he, what is AJ looking for and what does his future look like? And it gets sad because I, I don't know that I have good answers for him. Yeah. Uh, Meadow has made a better match with Finn, but again, that's yeah. someone who takes her farther from the family. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, this is her trying to get out. I don't think that's a bad thing. But it, it is difficult to have a relationship with Carmela if everyone in your life that you associate with is someone that makes her feel like an outsider. It's very interesting watching Meadow relate to her family now that she's fully entrenched in the Ivy League culture. Right. That having them over for, for dinner in her New York apartment, you really realize how much she's grown in the last two years in some ways. But she still has to kind of contend with this. It's, it's just fascinating TV. It's why it's so good. But interesting, a quieter year for the kids, perhaps, than some of the previous, especially the previous one, you know. We were focusing on the marriage this time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, AJ's old enough to have a life of his own, even if it's a sad life, and Meadow is off on her own as well. So it was just interesting, Um, but very good. I think it's time for our final top three. Final top, top, top three. three. Final top, top, top three. three. Jump in off the roof, rip a hole in the sun. Sorry. Oh, Paul. Paul. Alan, please write something excoriating about Paul. Please, I don't want to hear that. Please, uh, please, old chap. 
Uh, who wants to start episodes? Top three episodes. Why don't you start, Chris? Oh, Chris, you want to start? Go. Sure, I'll start. My number three episode is watching too much television. Honorable mention, watching too much television. My number three is the strong silent type. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention, watching too much television. Number three, Eloise. Number three, everybody hurts. Mm. My number two, whoever did this. 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 You want us to do our number one at the same time again, guys? One, one two, two, three. three. White, White caps. caps! Yay, all right. So we all have the same two and one. That makes things easy. Let's, uh, let's just go over just one by one with our number threes, and then we'll hit the final two and close this fucker out. Uh... Watching too much television. This is your. This is a, a runner-up for you as well, Jordan. It was. Uh, and someone Jordan also distinguished himself when we spoke about it. Ah, uh, shucks. Well, uh, thank <laughs> you. Uh, this episode was really meaningful for me. It's it's not a favorite in the series for most fans. Right. Uh, but I thought we had one of our best discussions ever on the podcast too, about it. Actually, uh, yeah. Yes, I did get very heated during this because. It was something that was sort of beyond the characters on the show, but yet the characters were deeply entrenched in it. This is uh, how our system has rotted out from the inside uh, and how our characters are actually in part responsible for the corrosion that goes on and ultimately the injustice is done to us, to the citizens, to the the people. Um, I just thought it was a really great episode that for once really looked at the system rather than the individual characters existing within it. And to some of our fan mail, to some of those points... Watching too much television is a great episode to hold up when you want to try to create a sense of objective morality. Of course, that's sort of impossible, but that is an episode where you could say, look at all the damage that's being done, and no one is really trying to fix it. And actually, I will lay the blame at everyone's feet, probably including the federal government. Um, So uh, just a really interesting episode from that perspective. And with some characters who are largely not major players in the season, uh, like Zellman and and, um, uh, who are the other? Maurice. Maurice, thank you. I agree. Uh, it was on my list, too, for that reason. I'm fascinated by the mob stuff and the scams. Now, I don't need it. I can be sustained by all of the great emotional family stuff. I'm not one of the hits and tits guys. But as a guy who's just generally fascinated both with politics and with the mob and how it works and how they make their money and how they leech off society, this is a great episode for all the reasons you said, Jordan. It's just such a stark illustration. And to use this continuing metaphor of a rotted out, a hollowed out, a husked house is just great, especially when you see where the season goes. Yeah. It's, it, you know, Tony, you, he, he's reaping what he's sown in his own way, and this is part of it, but it does lay out, and this is another reason why season four is a little bit more, you know, difficult. There's no Davy Scatino in the HUD scam. Yeah. Davy Scatino is a pathetic, pitiful character that you empathize with, and his family certainly gets caught in the crossfire. But Davy Scatino made bad decisions that got him there. These people who live in this neighborhood in Newark are just not going to have any chance of good housing in that neighborhood because these guys are ripping off the system, because the system is complicit, because the FBI is harassing a a, a nightclub owner instead of arresting Assemblyman Zellman, and because this money just gets diverted and, and defrauded. It's fascinating. I enjoyed it. It's a classic for me. Yeah. Uh, Eloise. Eloise. Eloise is just a, a an insane episode. It's a rager, even though it's quiet. Um, I know the big scene in some ways is the one at the plaza, but the the scene for me is the one at dinner when um, Carmela can't let it go. She doesn't know what she's talking about <laughs> with respect to that book. Um, doesn't stop her. Uh, it's not about the book either. It's about 
how she can't like she's saying none of this exists and we know precisely what does exist because of what she's hiding about Furio. I love all that. Yeah. Um the ending is such a great payoff. Yeah, it's a big one for me. Understandably, it's 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 great and that that dinner scene is uh it's dynamite. Yeah. Yeah, everybody hurts just stuck with me. The Artie storyline is really beautiful to me. Oh, and sad and seeing him get to that point is is just heartbreaking and and but I also just love Artie. The 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 parts of funny about Gloria, all of it just Well, in this idea, we talked about this when we covered this episode, but it's really fa- like I I love how you opened it up, Jordan, and your initial reaction was like the show has a fascinating way of expressing, like, isn't it shocking that Tony somehow in his brain, before this glorious suicide thing, actually thought of himself as a good guy? Yeah, crazy. <laughs> and he's wrestling with this, like, holy shit, am I, what the fuck am I, a toxic person? And it's like, <laughs> watching him realize right. this and wrestle with this and try to fight against what is staring everybody right in the face is fascinating TV. Yeah. yeah. It's a great pick, Will. Well, absolutely. Said. Um, the strong silent type. Uh, this is an episode, uh, of course, the, the thing to speak to always is that the big centerpiece in this episode is the intervention, and, and it's a, an amazing scene, but actually every individual beat in this episode works really, really well for me. It's, uh, everyone kind of buzzing about Ralphie's sudden disappearance and what, what could have happened to him, and the suspicion is kind of already on Tony in a way. Um, we have, you know, Tony's tearful reaction to, uh... What happened to Piomai in therapy? This is also a very funny episode where this is where Paulie has the painting of Tony and Piomai redressed <laughs> yes. to look like it's a kind of a fat Napoleon. This is where Furio gives the gift of the balsamic vinegar. Um, this is, of course, where poor Cosette uh, is killed. Um, you know, this is the, starts off the episode really, and then of course the the brilliant uh, intervention. We also this is of course the episode where Tony sleeps with Svetlana, which is like the most improbable. A plot point, and then uh, immediately swings back around to precipitate the chaos of Whitecaps. Right. Wonderful, wonderfully said. And of course, whoever did this, we've talked a lot about this already because the Ralph murder is the centerpiece of this. But if anyone has any threads they want to tie up on whoever did this, the form that the episode takes, yeah, the structure is yeah. so special. The, its placement in the season is special. The events that happen in it is special. And it just, it's unforgettable. Never forget that episode if you've seen it. Great bottle. I also just love Tony alone at the end of the episode going through the bing from the back mm-hmm. entrance and yeah. seeing the mirror. and That uh, faded, that, that out of focus picture of I, Tracy it's, is It's just a, a, it's a haunting shot. Unforgettable. It really is. Yep. Yeah. And then of course, Whitecaps, Whitecaps. The, the big one. We've, we've really investigated it well today. It speaks for itself. Yeah. It's... You just watch it and you know, oh, this is the best in the series and the season and possibly the best in the series. It also is such a perfect finale in that it does uh, really end everything. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of intrigue to go on, but uh, I think you said this either on our previous recording or in another episode in this retrospective, but it, the show could end here. It would just be a really bizarre, sad ending. Mm-hmm. But this is, it's the end of their marriage. It is a, a fix for New York for at least the time being. Uh, everything is just kind of stalled in this really unfortunate place. Yeah, it might be the perfect place to say to your audience, go to your room for a year and think about this. <laughs> and think about what you've done. <laughs> um, but yeah, beyond a masterclass in acting, it's um, the symbolism of what that house represents and... How it is also unattainable is terrific. 
Well, and with that, we've done all our top threes. There's one more thing I just want to mention before I close us out. We didn't talk a ton about him, but I also want to give credit where it's due. Federico Castelluccio. We don't know if he'll be back. We don't know what this portends. It was a very mysterious and sudden end. But if this is the last we see of Furio, what a well, what a job well done and an excellent performance. His presence on the show was huge. He did a great job this season. Absolutely. He was so threatening and believable as this as Tony's heavy, his driver, his go-get-shit-done guy. And, uh, yeah, so Federico Castelluccio, it's, uh, it's been great. Thank you for your, your service on this awesome show, and your, your performance is excellent. You're always around the Jersey area, uh, so, um, you know, you're, you're someone that I hope to bump into and just tell in person how special your work was. But well done, and you have great chemistry with Edie Falco, and there's another show there that uh, we never got to see that I would watch. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, the Juntas. <laughs> <laughs> living in uh you know growing olives somewhere in naples uh but thank you federico castelluccio and thank you to all of our uh, audience our listeners thanks guys for writing in and for listening to us and supporting us please continue keep continue to keep supporting our show yes. listening to our show thank you everyone for listening four seasons you've all been amazing yeah holy shit i mean we this has already gotten so so much bigger i'm fucking really pumped for season five. Season five was my favorite for a long time. It, it has been bumped off that spot as I think about it and see the whole series in its grand totality. But season five is a fucking doozy, man. And I there is one particular episode in five that I think is going to be one of our best podcast episodes yet. I can't wait to get into it. And uh, thank you all. And thank you, my lovely co-hosts. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you soon for season five first episode of which is two Tonys. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful time. Checkmate, nerds. <laughs>